Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwartztrapper. On today's show, daily fantasy sports. It's been a while since we've talked about this topic on the show. In our third episode back in January, uh, we had Christopher Koopman, research fellow from the Mercatus Center at George Mason, to come on the show to talk about daily fantasy sports, what makes it different than your office fantasy football league, and why there's so much controversy. And there's been some developments at the state regulatory level and even some uh, whispers in Congress since then. So we're happy to have Chris back on the show to talk about this exciting topic. So, Chris, thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. So now, Chris, uh, before we get into the discussion, I have to point out that last time you were on the show, you had a very long and epic, awesome beard. And you have committed a high crime by cutting it off. And I'm now sitting across from you clean shaven and it is disturbing. So I just wanted to let you know that. It's gone now. Well, you know, summer is here. Uh, and also, I have a, a child, 10 months old, who who rips and pulls on everything. So I've also lost the glasses. I've gone to contacts. So oh, yeah. the more I can remove from my face for him to, to yank on and try to throw across the room, the better for all of us. I thought you were just sanitizing your appearance to be more DC. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> that had nothing to do with how I looked. Had everything to do with pure convenience in terms of uh, avoiding the, the, the beard pulls from my 10-month-old baby. Well, I'll try to be nice to you for the rest of the show because you're a trooper and you came in uh, with allergies today. So if listeners, you hear any weird sounds, that's just uh, Chris's illness. It's my, <laughs> so. it's my my nose whistling. I can't control it. I will try my hardest. All right. So, Chris, uh, we talked about on the show, and just to give a quick recap to listeners, Daily Fantasy Sports is basically a daily betting-like version of your office fantasy pool. And you can, it's much more flexible. You can do one-on-one battles with a friend. You can participate in competitions with tens of thousands of people. It's really up to you. And because most states, uh, don't really define daily fantasy sports in their laws, this is kind of a controversial thing. And it's it's really a state-by-state issue. Some people view it as gambling. Some people view it as a skill game. That's one of the main sticking points as we regulate it. And since we talked on the show, uh, Mercatus has a website, fantasysports.mercatus.org, which kind of tracks what's going on in the 50 states. Um, but since then, we've had a bunch of developments. So starting with Virginia, which recently passed regulations, what's going on in our neighboring state? Yeah. So uh, just to back it up a bit. So we talk, when we talked in early January, the state legislative sessions hadn't begun yet. Um, and once the legislative sessions started, all of the state legislatures, except for maybe 10, really jumped into this daily fantasy sports controversy. If you recall, in the fall, there were some allegations of insider trading uh, that were made against one of the platforms, and that really drew a lot of critical attention to these websites. And the two main platforms, just for the purposes of this conversation, are FanDuel and DraftKings. Those are the ones that you see with the wall-to-wall advertising and the leagues themselves advertising it. There are a lot of other players in the market, but these are the two big guys. Yeah. So these are the, the, the two biggest players here, and they're, they pretty much make up the market at this point. There are a lot of smaller players, but a grand majority of, of people who are playing daily fantasy sports, they're playing them on one of these two platforms. So the legislative sessions start, uh, and states start getting involved with the question of, is it gambling? Is it not gambling? How should it be treated? And should it be regulated in any way? So that's what we were doing at fantasysports.mercatus.org is we were trying to track these in real time 
as these bills were moving across the legislative uh, process, but then also as uh, state gaming boards and attorneys general and all sorts of other political actors got involved, we tried to, to track it all. But uh, to your question about Virginia, so what did Virginia do? Um, in March, uh, Virginia became the first state to regulate, to pass daily fantasy sports specific Regulations Separate from your traditional anti-gambling or gambling regulations, they've decided that this is a separate thing that should be treated separately. Yes. So with the Fantasy Sports Act, Virginia has now created, and other states have followed suit, but Virginia was the first state to create daily fantasy sports specific regulations. So it did what you would expect it to do. Um, It created an exorbitant fee that's now charged. Uh, If you want to register with the state, which you must do if you want to offer your games legally. So it is now uh, regulated by the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services within Virginia. Oh, obviously, agriculture, fantasy sports online, same shit. Yeah, it's it's more like the the consumer services side of things. But yeah, so you have this this, uh, agency that they're basically like, well, you handle things like this, you do it. Um, So you the the platforms, regardless of whether or not you are DraftKings and FanDuel and have a huge number of players and a lot of investment, you know, from all sorts of different places, a lot of capital to spend on these types of things and just a lot of money coming in. Or if you're a small startup that maybe only has a couple dozen people playing and you're trying to grow. Same We're, compliance costs. Same compliance. It's fixed compliance costs. The, the, the licensing fee to register with the state, you have to pay $50,000 upfront. So before you can uh, roll your website out in Virginia, you have to pay the state $50,000. Not a problem for FanDuel and DraftKings. These are massive companies that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising. But a recurring theme on this show that happens all the time and it's extremely frustrating is that regulations that are meant to protect consumers often have the effect of entrenching incumbent players in the marketplace and shutting out smaller guys. And $50,000 is not a small sum for a startup that has limited capital, might not even be paying it's few employees a salary maybe operating out of a garage and that is extremely discouraging to small businesses that they have to pay fifty thousand dollars exactly so when when this was passed uh, a colleague of mine uh, and I wrote a piece for the the Richmond Times dispatch in which we we tell uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia you have an entrepreneurship problem <laughs> you did the same thing to, to ride sharing the solution to the quote unquote uber problem was the solution that they just took and adopted and applied to daily fantasy sports that was we will create regulations that mandate your business practices and we will charge an exorbitant fee because the platforms that we're familiar with that is those in, in Richmond the capital of Virginia are these big billion dollar companies and they can handle that cost. Never thinking about the little guy or the next round of entrepreneurs or those people who will come along next year, two years, three years from now with a new, better way of doing it, but maybe not 50,000 in the case of daily fantasy sports, 100,000 in the case of of Uber to pay upfront just for the privilege to offer your services in the state. So that's that's one thing that has played out in other states as well. So Virginia really 
was the first mover in getting it all the way through the legislative process. That is, you know, getting it passed in, in the, the House, the Senate, signed by the governor into law. Now, what it's really shown is a difference between the big and the small players. So you have the, the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. You also have the small businesses of Fantasy Sports Trade Association. <laughs> so you have two different trade associations now who are operating, trying to represent differing interests within this small uh, yet uh, increasingly growing industry that is daily fantasy sports. And are there other states that we can kind of just check off the list that basically did the same thing as Virginia with maybe slight modifications? Yeah. So Indiana, uh, a few weeks later, uh, passed their own version of uh, of the Daily Fantasy Sports Act or the Fantasy Sports Act in Virginia that did the same thing. It was a licensing fee of $50,000 that will increase to $75,000 in the future. Um, it, it gave oversight of Daily Fantasy Sports to the Gaming Commission in Indiana, slightly different than, than Virginia. Um, it designated uh, Daily Fantasy Sports in, in Virginia and in Indiana specifically as a game of skill. It said this is a game of skill, not of luck, which is a key distinction, as you were mentioning before, between whether or not something is considered gambling or not gambling. Right. And listeners, uh, we did a very thorough discussion of the issue of game of skill versus game of chance in episode three of this podcast. And we'll link to it in the show notes for this episode, because uh, you, you should definitely go back and check that out because that's worth listening to. And we don't have time to get into it today. But um, so, yeah, it looks like Indiana kind of followed suit with Virginia. You also mentioned in the pre-show that Tennessee, Missouri and Mississippi, Mississippi rather, have all adopted regulations. Are they similar to the Virginia and Indiana models? Essentially, you know, with just slight differences, maybe how much they charge a year or um, just tiny variations. But for the most part, they're the same. Uh, they in um, Missouri and Colorado, I believe daily fantasy sports cannot be based on amateur athletic competitions. So, uh, for example, you cannot play daily fantasy college football or daily fantasy college basketball in Missouri or Colorado, you can only play professional sports. Um, some of this, some of this has to do with uh, the fear of corrupting the youth. All of these, all of these bills, and most of the other bills that are in, you know, somewhere in the legislative process in uh, what thirty other states or so that are still contemplating regulating daily fantasy sports, they all have similar things insofar as. They all seem to want to protect the children. They say, you know, 18 and older, but no one younger can play. It's these. always about the children. You know, the classic Simpsons, uh, you know, little clip. Um, so it's fair to say the 10 states have done basically nothing on this, that they either they have some they might have some gambling law on the books. They probably have some basic consumer protection laws that apply to like all industries. But they there are 10 states that have just done nothing. And it's presumed legal people are operating that's not to say they won't tackle it in the future but they're just not maybe they're as you said in the pre-show maybe they are doing other things that they find more important yeah that i i think that's a, it's it's really interesting to see the variation in the way states have responded so you've seen some states um where attorneys general or uh the gaming board comes out and says no even though we've allowed this to go on for some years, uh, now that it's gotten increased attention, we've changed our mind. You mean now that it's succeeded and people like it, it's time to ruin it? 
Yeah, and it seems like this the, the insider trading allegation that took place in, in the fall, October, November, whenever it was, in the fall of last year, that really uh, drew a lot of attention, and that's when state policymakers really got involved. So you have 10-some-odd states that... They do have gambling laws on the books, but they haven't. No one's come out and reinterpreted the gambling laws to apply to daily fantasy sports. No one's changed a position. The legislator isn't. The legislature isn't rushing to pass laws on this industry. They just haven't done anything. Yeah. So we've mentioned five states that have actually decided to regulate this in a specific way that have decided not to either incorporate it into gambling rules or to ignore it completely. And that was Virginia, Indiana, Tennessee, Missouri, and Mississippi. Um, There are also states that have outlawed it specifically, and that's a different type of regulation. Uh, That's Iowa, Montana, Washington state, Louisiana, and Arizona. In those five states, it's completely banned through law. Now, the fun one, which we joked about on the last show we did, is Nevada. Because in Nevada, it wasn't a law. It wasn't the attorney general. It was the gaming commission. And the hilarious irony is that Nevada is the state where you can go and legally sleep with a prostitute. You can gamble away your entire social security check at the airport when you land where they have slot machines. But God forbid you log on to your computer and play daily fantasy sports because you might cut into Sheldon Adelson's revenue. Yeah. So yeah, there is some irony to it, but there's also, it's a very easy explanation, right? Um, But some of this also has to do with... um, this increased attention just gave excuses to regulators to do this sort of thing. Right. Before the Nevada Gaming Board, um, it's the Nevada Gaming Control Board, before they woke up and decided to reinterpret the law to say that Daily Fantasy Sports is now gambling and they must be licensed and regulated as gambling establishments, um, they let them play. Right? Daily Fantasy Sports has been going on for years Um, And in many of these states where a a policymaker has just reinterpreted the law, Nevada being one of them, it was legal one day and then the next day just simply because someone woke up and decided they wanted to change the law themselves. (laughs) That is how they read the law. Now it's changed. Yeah. And and attorneys general have a, a lot of latitude similar to the Nevada Gaming Commission to wake up one day and decide something's illegal. And we saw that in New York where it is in court currently. Um, Illinois Attorney General also just said no. Texas Attorney General also just said no. So it's a combination of legislatures deciding what to do, gaming commissioners, attorneys general, and then there's this whole other avenue we haven't talked about yet, which is the federal government. And given all that we've talked about with all of these states approaching the issue in a different way and addressing concerns over cybersecurity, addiction, underage use, you might be thinking, why the hell is Congress getting involved? Like, seriously, with all the stuff that's going on in this country, why is Congress getting involved? But on May 11th, there was a hearing on daily fantasy sports, and you had a lot of people uh, as witnesses from all sorts of uh, areas of the issue. You had the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. You had MGM, Resorts International. You had uh, someone from a geolocation company that that makes sure that people who legally gamble in Jersey are actually in New Jersey. You got people from overseas betting companies in England where there's a thriving legal gambling market and they're trying to open that up here. So, Chris, 
Um, given this congressional hearing, did you have any takeaways from this? Uh, do you think the feds getting involved is actually a serious thing? It very well could be. <laughs> I mean, who knows where they go from here? Um, but it seemed to me, at least, in both in the hearing itself as well as the press coverage after, um, that it, yes, while daily fantasy sports was a major piece of of the hearing, it also seems like uh, Congress, at least the members of Congress who were who were at the hearing seem interested in reevaluating the federal approach to gambling. That seemed to be something they, they were concerned in and concerned about and thinking through. Now, in what way are they, are they suggesting that the federal approach to gambling is too restrictive? Because I've made the argument that the, that whether you think it's a game of skill or not, this whole debate is ridiculous and people should just be able to gamble online and then we won't have this stupid controversy over whether fantasy sports is more skillful than online poker or were the lawmakers saying shit this means we're not being restrictive enough no so like frank uh congressman frank palone for example who is who seems to be very involved in the gambling debates yes he was he originally came out and and he was tipped off by the advertising. So over, he went home for Thanksgiving and there was ads all over the TV and he used that as justification for con- Congress to get involved. And I believe he even mentioned outright that the biggest thing for him uh, would be to legalize sports betting. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's from New Jersey where it is legal. It is legal, which is interesting. So, it, you know, he's talking about legalizing it in the 49 other states. Yeah, which is not actually. I mean, if, if New Jersey gets a competitive advantage from being one of the only states, it's funny that he's taking the principled stand and saying, you know, the sky hasn't fallen in Jersey. Maybe we should apply this leniency to the rest of the 49 states. Yeah. And, and I think it will be interesting to see how things go from here. So uh, it's this seems to have been a tipping point on on many different issues. And it seems to have piqued Congress's interest um, insofar as they're they seem both concerned by daily fantasy sports. But at the same time, it seems like there are at least individual members who are interested in reevaluating the federal approach to gambling. That's more or less been uh, the status quo for, you know, two decades. So uh, I kind of want to throw a grab bag of concerns that were aired during the hearing. And you can let me know if any of them are particularly interesting to you or particularly controversial. So, of course, there's the obvious. How do you exclude under 18s from participating or sorry, under 21s from participating? Or I mean, maybe it's 18. They decided yeah, something so, else. I mean, some of the state laws said pe- people over 18, 18 and older. And that's very different than because gambling, no matter what, if it is legal, it's always 21. Um, so if a state says 18, they're kind of admitting they're different. So that's interesting. And industry is probably happy about that. There's also concerns about companies that refuse to pay winners. I mean, things yeah, like that. That seemed to be something that was brought up in the hearing that what about companies that take in all this money and don't pay out to winners? That doesn't seem to be an issue. In daily fantasy sports in in the United States, I don't know where where that was an issue coming from. That seems like to me that seemed to be a bit of an unfounded concern Um, when you're talking about these are billion dollar companies. Yeah, I think, you know, where that actually comes from is these sites that operate offshore that allow traditional illegal type stuff in the United States. 
And a lot of those companies, because they know that Americans who use them are basically gambling illegally, that they can get away with not paying winnings. But that is not the case in a legal regulated industry. Right. That's, so the, the, that's probably what you're seeing here is people are assuming that these are only nefarious actors that would provide such a product online. Well, that's just simply not the case when you look at uh, the, the fact that daily fantasy sports is, is mainstream, right? This isn't happening in the dark web or this isn't happening offshore. This is happening uh, with companies who have headquarters in New York City and Boston. Yeah. Um, and fraud is fraud, right? If you pay in uh, for a daily fantasy sports game and the platform refuses to pay out, um, you already have legal recourse. That seems to be like the, the system has already covered that. Fraud and theft are, are crimes. <laughs> so I guess the, the biggest concern from a federal perspective is whether preemption is necessary in this market. And anything involving the Internet always raises the issue of preemption because it's inherently an interstate entity and Congress legitimately can claim authority under the Commerce Clause a lot of times at the Constitution where anything involving interstate commerce, they can regulate it. So one of the biggest issues is what you see in New Jersey. New Jersey allows betting for people inside of New Jersey. Um, there are things on the internet called virtual private networks, VPNs. You can do you can use them to mask your internet traffic and make it seem like you are somewhere that you are not physically. So clearly one of the issues, if states are going to do this one by one, and some states are going to be legal, some states are illegal, the biggest concern is that someone will illegally log in to an online sports betting or a daily fantasy site from somewhere that's where it's illegal. And there's also the cybersecurity concern. In your mind, is this really a problem? How good is the technology for making sure that people betting are in Jersey? What's going on with this issue? Yeah. So the, the, the geolocation issue seems to have been solved, right? And these companies seem very interested in complying, right? They're trying very hard. You think, for example, uh, in Nevada, the, 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 the Nevada Gaming Control Board comes out and says, you are now a, a gambling institution. You're, you're an online casino. We're going to treat you as such, get a license. They say no. They say then you're operating illegally if you continue to operate without a license. So they turn off their service in Nevada. Right. right? I mean, there. it seems to me that that at least um, both anecdotally in the states that I've been in, it's been very difficult for me to to, to log in. Not that I have. Um, and in in other people that I talk to, it seems to be like that. that that doesn't seem to be a problem per se, but uh, backing it up a bit and getting into the preemption question, should Congress get involved? Um, I think as you as you look at um, the map we have at you know fantasysports.mercatus.org, you see this this debate is playing out, and you have even among the states that have passed regulations and laws, there are slight variations. So it allows for different approaches, experimentation, you know. Polycentricity, you know, that is you have uh, multiple state governments that are all trying it different ways and, and you you get to see some of how that competition plays out. Yeah. And there might be a system of best practices that emerges from the experimentation at the state level. And I guess it would be premature for Congress to step in because we really don't. This is a very new industry and it'd be tough to, for Congress to say, given how few states have really tried to tackle regulating this or not try, but succeed in signing a bill, uh, it, it could be really dicey for them to declare one state as having the best practices when so much is up in the air. 
Yeah. So two two things with that. The first thing I think is. Um, does it even make sense for state governments to get involved at this point, right? Everyone has been rushing to regulate daily fantasy sports, and no one has really bothered to ask a simple question. Will the regulations achieve the goals that they're intended to achieve? Um, Protecting the children. Exactly. That's something we talked about in the in the last podcast you and I did together on this issue. Um, in, in particular is allowing competition to play out. That is, instead of creating a $50,000 registration fee and mandating the way in which uh, companies will offer games and how they'll offer payouts and how they'll actually interact with consumers, that will really... F- close off the opportunities for these smaller upstarts, let's say a, a, a platform that wants to offer, you know, quote unquote, shark free daily fantasy sports. That is, you know, not the the really sophisticated, savvy players, but the the casual, right? The less sophisticated, less savvy player, the guy who might just play a couple of games here and there. Maybe he doesn't want to play with the the serious daily fantasy sports players. He wants to play with other casual players. In states like Virginia, Indiana, and those who have created relatively high barriers to entry for new entrants, you won't see the benefits from continued competition. You've essentially walled off the industry from from small upstart. Yeah, and a lot of people who are more sanguine about government's ability to regulate effectively and more less skeptical about government regulation, a lot of them prefer a couple of big players that they can control rather than a sea of competitors with small companies that they can't control. I mean, it's a lot easier to capture an industry if it's smaller. And it's not smaller in terms of size and money, smaller in terms of number of competitors. It's easier to round up the usual suspects. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, uh, we'll certainly be tracking this issue, especially if it gets to, if the federal government actually gets involved. And we'll definitely have uh, you back on the show. But uh, thanks again for joining. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, I look forward to talking about this as it continues to play out. Chris Koopman is a research fellow at the Mercatus Center, a research center based at George Mason University. You can check out Mercatus's work on this issue at fantasysports.mercatus.org. They've got a great map that tracks the goings-on in every state, uh, so definitely check that out. Um, Let us know what you think of the show on our Twitter page at Tech Freedom or on our Facebook page at Tech Freedom. Uh, Send us an email at mediatechfreedom.org. Let us know what you want to hear, what topics we're leaving out, uh, people you want to see on the show. Uh, Find this podcast in the iTunes store on your favorite app. Please leave us a review because it will help others find the show. And thanks for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.